Episode four. I'm joined today by just Chase. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back again. Yeah, it is. It's it's always fun to kind of start these episodes. Today, I, um, you know, I was really kind of thinking it'd be kind of fun to take a step back from some of the the more serious topics. There's a lot of serious things going on in, in the world right now, of course, um, and and we haven't really talked that much about. Um, what we do kind of for fun, what we do outside of work, what we do outside of kind of the grind. Um, and it, we did talk a lot about that kind of in season one, but we haven't really touched on it too much. Um, and so I, I wanted to start out, Chase, by saying, what have you, what have you been up to? Uh, other than work and other than, you know, these past week, I know uh, yeah. we kind of took some time off. There's been a lot going on. So yeah, what kind of things have you been into? Honestly, uh, Elden Ring just came out. For yes. Those, for those listeners who haven't heard of it yet, you probably should have heard of it. It's one of the best games I've played in a very long time. I'm thoroughly addicted. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, Elden Ring belongs to kind of a community of games um, called Souls-like games in that they're, they're games that are designed to be very, very challenging, very hard, and you have this kind of slow grind of character progression where you get stronger and stronger. Uh, but at the start of the game, you're just getting your ass handed to you over and over and over again. And I'm, I'm thoroughly addicted to that challenge. I definitely have not been deathless so far. I've been, <laughs> been kind of getting, getting wrecked. Um, but I would say that this... Uh, this is probably my primary game right now, though I, I will say it's definitely a game that I'm dating and not one that I'm married to. Uh, I think the the game that I'm married to and the game I'll always go back to is League of Legends, and I'm still playing that. We played in a tournament last weekend. Uh, we won the consolation bracket, which was a good time, uh, and yeah, I, I love playing competitive games. So games that are really challenging, games that are competitive are right up my alley. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I have I have to say, uh, I've... You know, I've also been playing a, a lot of video games lately. I, I do I do read for for pleasure quite a bit as well. Um, on the the gaming side of things, I'm playing a game right now called Horizon. Um, so there's two Horizon games. There's a new one that just released called Horizon Forbidden West. I'm actually replaying the first one. So it's a two part series. Uh, both of the games are are. They originally have been uh, exclusives to the PlayStation consoles. I, Zero Dawn I actually played first. That's the first game um, on Steam, but I now was fortunate enough to actually obtain a, a PlayStation 5. For those who aren't aware, Ooh. it's not not easy to obtain. I sat there kind of refreshing on the Walmart page when they dropped Big uh, baller, a little right? while ago. Yeah, and so I've been replaying Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, I found it interesting, and I think we'll, we'll kind of you know, dive into this question a little bit, because this is one that, that comes up a lot um, when it comes to kind of pleasure things. But what I find is the most intriguing to me about um, really any sort of narrative-driven media. And and I in my mind, I kind of group, um, you know, TV shows, maybe a little bit of movies, but movies are, are probably a little bit less in terms of like the long-form mm-hmm. narrative. Um, but certainly TV shows, books, and for me, even video games into um, what I would consider kind of um, a, a speculative fiction type of storytelling that I am really, really into. So for me, um, the the Horizon games are, are really scratching the itch of what I like to do kind of to relax in, in my free time. Um, it's it's a world, I guess I can kind of summarize it a little bit for those who aren't familiar. There's a lot of layers to the, to the world of Horizon, but basically it's, a, it's set in the far future, uh, could be considered a, a dystopian um, world, but there are some um, kind of hopeful notes to it as well. And really the, the premise of the game is that uh, humanity had progressed so far with technology um, that they had created 
these these robots that kind of um, resemble animals and dinosaurs, things like that. Um, but they they became so intelligent that they actually kind of destroyed themselves with it. And so there's this whole kind of like dark age that went on of, of there being almost no life at all, but then through kind of a series of uh, last minute plans and things like that. Basically, there's these kind of tribes that had formed um, amidst all of this technology. So the whole premise of the game is basically that you are playing as a member of one of these tribes. Now, humanity is in this context, kind of been reset to the the Stone Ages or the Primitive yeah. Ages again. But what the game kind of poses is what would that look like if there was kind of a restart or a reset of humanity's technology, but they also interacted with these relics of very, very advanced technology far mm -hmm. beyond our own. So Horizon is kind of that juxtaposition of cultures that are, are far less technically advanced than ours today interacting with technology that's far more advanced. And it's a really interesting genre. But to me, I kind of want to ask a question, Chase, because... I have not been engaging in in very much media at all that I would consider to be competitive. So, what is that? What does that kind of drive to you? What what motivates you in your free time to kind of fill with with competitive driven games or or at really any sort of? Media? Yeah. So so we've kind of touched on it in past episodes, especially when we talked about career ambitions. But yeah, our listeners have probably gotten the idea that I'm I'm very much so somebody who's seeking self improvement uh, constantly or to be my best self to to kind of evolve, climb the corporate ladder. So in gaming um, and in in regular sports, when I was growing up, I really love the opportunity to pit myself against uh, a challenge. And so for me, uh, in, in competitive gaming, um, I, I just really latch on to the fact that those games can be both the easiest game you've ever played and the hardest game you've ever played, yeah. depending on your opponent, depending on the game state, like what's going on at the time. Um, and there's always going to be somebody better. So for me, there's always another rung on the ladder to climb and always another mountain. I've been playing... I've been playing League for how probably eleven years now. It's crazy. It's, yeah, over a decade. I, I played on my college team uh, at the University of Minnesota for uh, you know a few years, and and I just love that kind of team environment and the ability to constantly pit myself against challenges. So for me, Elden Ring, which isn't a competitive game, also scratches a similar itch in that it is very much so a game that is hard enough to make you get good. You either get good at this game or you do not play the game. Like you, yeah. you'll get nowhere. So I'm very much so still trying to get good at it. It's been a challenge. I'm like ten hours in and I've barely made it anywhere. But but it uh it's hard enough where I uh you know I, I can basically throw myself at it over and over again. And I, and I would say for me um, that challenge definitely is the prevailing quality that I look for in any gaming situation over story, over even gameplay. The gameplay could be kind of half-baked as long as it's hard. I, uh, I'll, I'll have a good time. Interesting. Uh, which, to me, I, I honestly get the impression that you are very much so not looking for that, just based on how you described Horizon. And, and I will say, I haven't played a Horizon game ever it's honestly long drawn out story games are not really my thing, but my question for you would be what's mm -hmm. the prevailing characteristic that attracts you to games like that? What are you looking for? Yeah, I think my answer to that has changed a little bit over time. Um, I There's a game that I, I kind of go to as my turning point, and I, I probably did bring this game up in, in season one because it, it's been historically important for me, and of course it's a very well-known game, but that being um, Skyrim or the Elder Scrolls V um, Skyrim game. That game, I wouldn't necessarily describe it purely as a, a role-playing game that is, is focused just on storytelling. I think there's a little more to it than that. Certainly there's kind of a world to build there, but for those who aren't familiar with the game, um, it's, it's set in a, in a fantasy world. So, you know, there's magic and, and, you know, there's these things called Draugr, which are kind of like zombies. And there's all these different, pretty much all the fantasy stereotypes or, or tropes is probably a better word you could think of are, are kind of in this game in some form, but really the, 
the most uh, encapturing thing about Skyrim to me is there is a very, very high level of immersion built into it in the sense that you can kind of be whoever you want to be. So yeah. it's it's a storytelling game that doesn't so much tell a story that is delivered to you and pre-built, where I would say Horizon is a lot more on that side. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a self-storytelling game. Um, now, I'm into both, but the reason why I bring up Skyrim as a, as a turning point for me is that at the time when I was really into Skyrim, and I would estimate, I, I guess I would place this probably around the same time frame that you started playing League, because it was released at this point, I think, 11 years oh, ago. Oh, man, yeah. that makes me and feel old. Yeah, it is, it's kind of wild. But for me, the word that comes to mind is when I had started playing video games and when I actually got into video games um, is escapism. I... I, at the time, was somebody who had at least, I would say for the most part, a, a what a common what a common issue for somebody my age was, which is that I dealt with a lot of um, you know self esteem issues and things like that going into especially kind of that middle school high school time yeah. frame that type of thing. Now, I saw literature and and I've I grew up reading for pleasure. I grew up doing a lot of things. Wasn't as into video games right away, but I did kind of adopt them um, along the way. And what I found for myself uh, originally and why I got into these types of games in the first place is that I was able to kind of build the the world and the story and experience something that I found to be more interesting or more engaging than a lot of what was going on in my real life. Now, that is, as much as that sounds kind of dark to say, for a kid, I think I don't necessarily view that prospect as a negative thing um, because it certainly helped to kind of foster my imagination and, and really was why I was into a lot of um, you know, books at the time as well. Now, fantasy and science fiction have always been my go-to genres for reading, but I, I certainly accept recommendations and read a lot of things that are outside of that genre as yeah. well. Um, and to kind of follow up on an answer to that question, over time, I I think as I've have as I've kind of had a healthier outlook in general on my own development, and now certainly after having gone through college and 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 I think in previous episodes people may have a good idea. I don't necessarily see myself as somebody who needs escapism anymore. Uh-huh. Um, so it's interesting that this whole time I've still been into kind of narrative heavy things, and and maybe in contrast to you, because I'm not necessarily looking for things that are as competitive. In my mind, this idea of world building and storytelling is not exclusive to to video games. Yeah. I, I sort of lump a lot of media, especially fantasy media and, and, and that type of thing, in my mind together because what I really enjoy out of those things is the speculative fiction nature of it. Um, I find it really fascinating to both participate in a in a active way through something like video games and also a passive way, even through things like TV shows and the stories that people are able to create. I, I, I really like to enjoy immersing myself in different worlds and kind of try to understand our world through the lens of, of how people present um, reactions and scenarios and things like that in these worlds. Um, so, no, you have a comment, Chase. Yeah, so, yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious and kind of wanted to drill down into this. And we, we've mm-hmm. hinted at a variety of different um, types of media, you know, be it books or video games or, or television. Do you think that the the narratives and maybe even the escapism that those media outlets can create is fundamentally different? So if something is given to you mm-hmm. in, a, in a game format, can it achieve the same level of excitement or escapism or whatever you're, or, uh, you know, speculative narrative that a book can, or is there always going to be a fundamental difference there? That's an interesting question. I think it's, I, I don't want to characterize my answer to that is that I think one media is, is superior to the other uh-huh. and, and, in that way. But I will say Absolutely, there is a fundamental difference in terms of how you can experience these these things, and and part of it is just because 
the stories that you're able to tell are quite different. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't remember if I've brought this series up on the podcast before or not, but one book series that, for example, I'm very into, and I, I read the new ones, I'm very excited for the new ones to come out. They come out a couple times a year, is the Cradle series oh, yeah. by, by Will right. White. This is a fantastic example to me of something that is only possible through books. And the reason why I say that is this is an entire, the book series is really building an entire universe and it focuses primarily on the story of, of two people. Um, but it's, it's kind of similar to maybe like a fighting anime or something like that told in a book format. But my reason for bringing this series up in, in answer to that question is what the author has done here. Now, this is an author that is just one person, uh, Will White. I know he works with his brother in some capacity, so maybe two people, but they've been able to build an entire immersive world and tell the story of it through these books. And and I absolutely love that book series. In contrast, something like a video game is much more difficult to to accomplish that level of narrative. It takes an entire team yeah. to do it. And so the stories that get told are are going to be fundamentally different for that reason alone. So in that context, I would say video games absolutely have the highest level of immersive detail, uh, not only an interactive detail as yeah. well, of course, because they're really the only media so far, at least, that you can interact with on that level. So some of the highest degrees of immersion that I've had are through video games. Some of the best world building I've seen is through books because in books, there's very little limitation. The only limitation in books is imagination and maybe in some cases having the, the, you know, the narrative capacity to actually describe what's in your mind. But they're a very limitless medium in that way. On the other hand, because they aren't specific, they open up the door to a lot of imagination. Now, and TV shows kind of fall into the same category as movies in this way, but one good example is even something as simple as a character or a scene. In a movie or, or a video game, All of the details of that scene, or many of them, are spelled out explicitly to you. You know, you're you're presented with an image that's shown to you, and so a lot of the details, it, it opens up the door for kind of immersion in that way, but on the other hand, it limits the imaginative capacity yeah. of, of the person who's engaging with it. Because in a TV show, for example, there is really no no doorway for you to imagine the scene that's presented. It, it just is the scene. Now, you can kind of contextualize it in a larger world, that type of thing, whereas a book, almost everything in a book is is up to the reader to kind of put that image in their head and immerse themselves in that way. Very um, true. Now, because of that, where I'll finish is... Um, I actually find not only does this change the dynamic of experiencing the story, it actually changes the amount of energy and effort that's required to engage with it. I personally find I I still love reading, but one of the most difficult things to me about reading is that I find it takes the most mental energy to get immersed in. And what I mean by that is a lot of books, even if, even though I, I don't limit myself to necessarily reading really complicated, you know, adult famous books for being difficult to read, though I certainly try to tackle some of them. I'm fine with reading young adult fiction too. And so it's, it's different in this, this way, but certainly a lot of books, they don't have pictures or anything like that to kind of get you started. Yeah. And so it's, it's harder to kind of build momentum in that way. You know, I, I, I usually read on Kindle. I'll open my Kindle and I'm presented with just a very uninteresting white background with black words on yeah. it. There's nothing to draw me in, nothing to, to pull me into the story and kind of pull me out of the real world and, and let me kind of focus on the story, except for my own motivation to start reading, re-engage myself with where I left off, and rebuild my own mental image of the story. I'd say on the flip side, the easiest kind of most passive medium would be something like a TV show where you know you can hop into Netflix, you can hit play, and you're instantly into the story in, in some way. The story will progress whether you engage with it or not. Yeah. Um, whereas books 
will never progress unless you engage with it. So they have to be different from that perspective. Although I, I don't want to give you an answer on which one is the best because I think there's strengths of each medium. And it's why I try to, especially from my own perspective, I try to kind of mix it up in terms of what I engage with. So that's that's kind of where yeah, I'm at with that. That makes sense. And I feel like to some extent books and TV shows and movies, they have very finite control over the narrative and mm-hmm. by what i mean by that is is they are basically giving you an iv drip directly of what what the yes. author wants you to see what the director wants you to see whereas in a, in a game games that try to do that are typically not seen as very good games and yeah. they very much so limit the player it's like you know most people don't necessarily like like just rail car games where you're just uh, you know, scripted through one scene after the next, after the next, you want to have some agency. So, so to do some sort of like a, a drip feed of a narrative in a video game, you have to take away a lot of the agency of the player to, to do their own thing. And, and, you know, it, it's definitely less of a controlled narrative. I would agree with you. Um, I guess I, I'm very intrigued by the, uh, the changes in, in our, our perspectives on, on video games or the differences and um, I, I think that that was definitely a uh, an interesting conversation. So, Matt, I would I would ask you um, your love of reading mm-hmm. has that impacted any other aspects of your life or any any other areas where where you feel like uh, maybe that's that's come uh, your love of narratives, I should say, has, has mm-hmm. come to play. Yeah, I think it absolutely has. In fact. What I would say is, is uh, to me, the reason why I love these things, I, I would actually almost answer that in the other direction and say that one thing I've discovered about myself recently, and I say recently, but I think I, I kind of have always had some idea of this and it, and it really did evolve out of kind of what I was talking about with this idea of escapism and why I kind of like to do that, that type of thing. Well, I've realized um, for me, the one the one thing that that has constantly drawn me in whether it be through conversation or media or really anything in life is this idea of self betterment now i say that word and and i don't want it to to be the same as what you said <laughs> with self improvement because yeah. i think in this context for me self betterment is is my understanding of the world around me and my own place within it and not only just my own place physically, but my own place mentally. Um, there's kind of this this thing that I've been thinking a lot about recently, and, and maybe it's a mantra, maybe it's just kind of in, in a framework with which to view life. But to me, I kind of view my life as having two different headspaces. spaces. Um, there is my, my headspace of I am on the journey, I'm going somewhere, this is my grind, I am... I am working towards making myself better. Now, this is where I would say there's a lot of overlap, Chase, with your yeah. perspective of self-improvement. But the question I've I've been fascinated with for a long time, and I, I think I only recently would have worded it this way, but I certainly have kind of been in this realm in my head for a long time, is do I want to live my entire life on that journey, or am I ever going to take a step outside of it and say, you know what, I'm here. In this moment, in this moment, I am not on the journey. I'm actually at my destination. Oh, I am man. I am experiencing the rewards of the work that I have done. Now, I'm not going to say, you know, immersing myself in a video game is not experiencing the rewards of what I've done, but yeah. what it is, is a form of mindfulness for me, where I... I find that in, in a lot of narratives, one of the biggest, there's a background noise going on the motorcycle. I don't know if the mic picked that up, but one of the biggest things for me that I am able to experience through narratives is a, a presence and a feeling of being in a space that I am purely there just to experience it. I'm not necessarily there to make some big impact yeah. Uh, or investment in my life that will, you know, be fruitful later. And I think a, a video game or really any game 
is is very representative of that, right? Because if we just take what a game is, usually a game is a set of rules that are by definition arbitrary outside of the game. They have no meaning outside of the game. Yeah. All they do is is present a framework to achieve some degree of success within it that ultimately within the context of a lot of our previous conversations, like we're talking about career growth, things like that have no meaning. And, and I think that that's where it would definitely overlap with something like, you know, you talk about league of legends, does winning a game of league of legends have any bearing at all on what you would consider to be a successful life? No, probably not, you know, really no, but at the same time you achieve some degree of satisfaction from doing it. And so, where I'm going with this is at the end of the day, if you look at how we view life, right, what, what is success? Is success achieving the career goal that you want or some sort of larger goal that you want? Or is success getting to the end of life and recognizing that you've maximized the amount of happiness that you've experienced along the way? So, in that context, this is how I position something like reading or something like video games within the larger perspective of my life and really how I feel that those types of narratives enhance what I do is that I experience a version of local happiness, a version of, and maybe not, maybe happiness is is too narrow-minded in this context. I experience a version of local presence, whether that emotion be happiness or sadness, because it doesn't need to be exclusively happy narratives. In fact, I don't like it to be exclusively happy narratives. Mm -hmm. That presence to me, whether it be in, in the real world or in a fictional speculative world that in some way reflects the real world, because of course, even speculative fiction absolutely reflects a lot of things in the real world. It allows me to look back on every day or every week or whatever time frame that that you specify and be satisfied with that balance and that I can look back on a week where I've had, you know, a 40-hour work week, I've gone to the gym, I've done the long-term self-improvement things, but I also have done things that allowed me to experience a broad range of emotions and feel like I've had some some ex, some life relevant experience during uh-huh. that time, um, and that's kind of how I position that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's exclusive to, you know, reading a book or playing a video game. I think something like meditation is motivated in a lot of the same way, and I I find it interesting that that I, I bring up meditation here because it just kind of occurred to me because it, it sort of is the opposite of video games in a way in terms of what you're doing, yeah. right? Where video games are presenting you with an overload in some cases of information and meditation is all about kind of clearing that information out or at least just existing in it without engaging in it. Mm. But they both to me represent kind of mindfulness and experiencing the moment and and taking a step outside of the journey and just saying, I am here, I've arrived, yeah. I'm experiencing this right now. And that is kind of what matters. So and that's where I'm at. To be that. honest with you, it's, it's very interesting to me to listen to this kind of monologue yeah. or, or your discussion on this topic. Um, because when you first posed the, uh, the theoretical, like getting to the end of life and just not no longer climbing the ladder and just like looking back and being happy with the things that, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're at your destination. I was initially like, man, I'm terrified of getting to my destination. I'm, yeah. What if I'm bored? Like, what if I don't like it? <laughs> so to me, I think that that tells me a lot about where, where I am right now, which is, I don't, I don't know. I might, I might retire from work and then figure out some other crazy thing to do some investment scheme or something. Yeah. I don't know. I might not just sit there. I, I think that probably reflects on that. I usually, I, I definitely need to work on having more aspects of mindfulness in my life because I'm that, that, that prospect of just like setting my burden down or like not continuing is, is scary to me in all reality. It, it's a, it's a different prospect. Yeah. And I guess while there, there's always, I think work for all of us to be done in, in that, realm of thinking. I don't want to necessarily frame this as as a knock on your character, Chase, because (laughs) there's, I think there are some personality types 
that that is where you find fulfillment yeah. is is in being able to engage with and interact with the world and and feel like what you're doing is sort of and productive might be the wrong word here because I I think that's been that word has been yeah. corrupted a little bit by capitalism I think but at least feeling like what you're doing is generating something you know you're part of a process you're generating value for yourself or or personal meaning and I I think it's very common for people to end up somewhere whether that be kind of at the top of the corporate ladder or or have a certain amount of money or have a certain status or or maybe have a certain social success and then arrive there and find that you know they climbed to the top of this mountain and you know what was up there well there's nothing up there you know like it it yeah, was all terrifying. about it was all about the climb and i don't think that there's there's anything wrong with that other than if the prospect is terrifying, then you can also recognize that there's some, there's some semblance of peace, I think, in knowing that that's what the truth is. Yeah. And, and not only that, but the journey is not a journey that is defined in terms of what that top of the mountain is, you know, and what, what to me makes that image scary is that you're constantly kind of climbing this mountain and there's a summit somewhere where there's nothing left for you to do. And once you get there, it'll be terrifying because you realize there was nothing at the top. There's yeah. no treasure chest at the top, yeah. you know, but this mountain is dynamic. You know, you can, you can define where the the summit is. True. The minute you get to one summit, you can create in your mind another, another bigger summit. mountain for you yeah. to climb. And so you can take if that is where you find fulfillment. And and again, I, I think at our age we'll find that this all changes. You know, even relationship statuses can change this. Oh, very you know, true. Religious outlooks can change this. There's a lot of different things. But no matter where you are, I think you can find comfort in the fact that there will always be an opportunity for fulfillment in that way. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that maybe I would encourage, and I say this as much to myself as I say this to you, regardless of where you find your, your passion is and, and where your value is, just don't lose sight of the moment to moment. You know, it's kind yeah. of, I know it sounds kind of trite, the whole like stop and <laughs> smell the roses kind of thing, but I'm, I'm serious about, if, if we really contextualize, you know, life in general, right? I mean, what do our lives mean? What are we a part of? Part of this is, is very much kind of a religiously motivated oh, answer. Yeah. But in general, I think just from a purely statistical standpoint, we can recognize that we are one of many, right? We're a very small fraction. At the end of the day, even what we consider locally to be a large impact is generally, now of course there's some exceptions to this, but generally not a, a, a large impact from, a, from the universe's perspective, True. right? I, you know, even maybe Earth is not a large impact from the universe's perspective. And so in some, in some way, you could you could take that mindset and turn that into nihilism, right? And yeah. and say, okay, well, then nothing has any meaning. I, I don't think that that's true at all. I don't think that nihilists are correct. I also don't think they're incorrect. I think this is one of those things where nihilism is a self-fulfilling prophecy, where if you say there's no meaning to life, there will be no meaning to true. life because the meaning to life is assigned by the individual. Yeah. And now... That's not to say that we don't influence each other and there aren't some people that are, you know, experiencing privileged positions and things like that. That's a whole, that's a truth and something that we have to consider in this kind of, you know, conversation. But at the end of the day, for both of us sitting here, I don't think there's anything all that much different about our day to day. The only thing that's different is that we are two different individuals and the meaning that we assign to the things that we do does have a big impact on our outlook of yeah. at the end of the day, we look back and say, okay, let's, let's write a bulleted list of the things that we've done today 
well, what of those things, if we had to order them in terms of what the most important thing was or what the the thing that made you the most happy is and, and you know put a leaderboard up of all those different categories well which of those categories is is most important um, that type of decision making is is what feeds into how we give ourselves meaning and so yeah. i don't think there's really any any need to fear it, i guess this is this whole like <laughs> monologue started because of you know this idea of fearing there's nothing to be afraid of except for if there was a possibility that one day you would get up and not know what it was that you wanted. Yeah. Not know any, you know, and even then, maybe at that point, what you want is to figure out what you want. You know, yeah. at, at the end of the day, there's always something that you can kind of narrow in on and make your focus. And for somebody like you that is motivated by self-improvement, there's always going to be that journey available yeah. to you. Honestly, at this point in my life, I don't know. Oh, I'll be yeah. curious in 20 years if I have this same response or the same outlook. But right now, it's like I can't see myself ceasing the climb. Like yeah. I'll, I'll be always looking for another mountain, whatever it is. And it, you know, in, in this case, I, I think part of the reason, like bringing it back to gaming, part of the reason I love these challenging games is it's another mountain to climb outside of work. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm on my free time. I'm climbing another mountain, um, and and we'll see it, how that changes and evolves. And obviously, I, I'm fully aware, like maybe settling down with a family will will completely change my outlook on this. But but at least right now, I don't see myself stopping, you know, stopping the climb. Yeah, and maybe it never will. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. I think it, it's interesting because now that I'm thinking about this, and, and I'm sure there's some some perspective that's missing here, but I, I kind of like this analogy of thinking about the mountain climb, right? Because yes, there is nothing maybe at the top of the mountain, but along the way, there are a lot of interesting things, a lot of things to see. And and from the perspective of somebody like you, you know, you are engaged in this idea of making progress. I wouldn't say that either of us, I think, you know, we're characterizing it as, as you and I are very like one single minded in this. I think yeah. we're, we're positioned this way on the spectrum, but we, of course, you know, I, of course, am very motivated to self-improve and I'm sure you like enjoying the moment as well, but in general, you know, <laughs> we're, we're in different spots on this spectrum. So, but mm -hmm. at the, at the same time, there's, there's a lot to to think about in terms of even myself for somebody who is also on this slope kind of making my way up enjoying things along the way at the end of the day functionally we're basically doing a lot of the same things oh, very and true. so there is kind of a maybe we could find peace in in knowing that at the end of the day we're we're very much you know aligned in in terms of what our day-to-day should be and how that serves our our long-term goal whatever that is and and how we should in, interpret the day-to-day -day and, and what kind of things we should focus on to serve that long-term goal so if we take something like you know pleasure activities <laughs> this got a more real podcast yeah than we holy thought. cow i did um, not expect yeah, this podcast I, about about uh you know our hobbies to turn into a philosophical well, let's, let's return to our hobbies for <laughs> yeah. a second because i think it's it's the reason why we had started this is because our hobbies in a lot of ways are kind of microcosms of this reality oh, right sure. where for you league of legends every game is a miniature mountain yeah. it's like it's a it's and, like your own little side journey and that mountain might be a little hill it might be everest i don't know maybe i'm mashed up against a pro player maybe i'm playing some brand new guy it's, it's exciting right so even for you you take breaks from the larger mountain to to climb these miniature more fun and lighthearted mountains yeah, right i mean exactly. the stakes are the stakes are lower on these in the the League of Legends mountain because there there's nothing riding on it other than your personal satisfaction, and and so because of that, I think it's it is equivalent to something like me where I like to experience a story or something like that. I like the world. There's usually some investment in it, so I wouldn't say there's no stakes. There's some emotional stakes, but there also is 
just like with the League of Legends game, a level of arbitrariness to it, right? Whether yep. it's a real story or it's a fake story or it's or it's something in between, you know, historical fiction, that type of thing. Whether I read the story or not, even if it's a nonfiction book, does have no real bearing on anything. And yet I'm able to locally assign meaning to it and achieve some value to it in the same way that you're kind of able to do that with with competitive games. And I, I think we should emphasize, you know, it, it's one of those things where I also have had a, a stint in my life playing League of Legends, things like that. But so was, I, I also like the competitive things. But It, it was a game yeah. you dated, though. It's not it the game It was very much a game to. I dated. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even say that there are very many games that I'm, I'm married to in the same way as, as you are to League. I think part of it is just because League is in a, a genre of games that has no defined ending. True. Right? I mean, there's, there's no... There is no top of the mountain of the overall game of League. Unless, I mean, even if you make it to the top, even if you're the best player in the world, you have to defend that position. So even then, it's it's not the end. It's a never-ending treadmill. Yeah. And you, you, uh, you're always climbing new mountains. There's always going to be new people to face. Uh, And the game is changing so much that it's, from year to year, it's so different that it it keeps things fresh. And so that is... That is something that you don't have to fear is is ever going to have an end. And even if it does, maybe they shut down the league servers. Well, there would be some other game. Yeah. And it's the same way with with really any type of storytelling. I don't have to fear that I will not have stories to experience because it's enjoying storytelling is something that is it's a it's a trait of humanity, right? We've been doing it since the very beginning. Do I know for certain that there won't be some new medium or thing that I move on to? Absolutely not. I I can't at all make the claim that in 30 years I will be doing the same ratio of, you know, reading to to playing video games to doing watching movies or TV shows that type of thing. In fact, it's very likely I won't. What I can yeah. say is it's very likely that I will still be involving myself in storytelling in that way because to me the meaning from it and and the takeaways that I can I can kind of experience and and try to reframe my own mindset in real life is something that I find a lot of value in in the same way that you probably find the value in okay I'm taking this kind of local competition and I win it that that is a a success story that you can add to your day. You know, it's like that is a a check mark you can put as a success. And so there's there's going to be that loop for both of us I think that exists. But I I do want to actually turn to an activity um that we overlap in, but you are kind of seem to have a comment. So no, is this I was still actually in the vein trying to shift gears. Yeah, it, so go ahead. Please. Yeah, well, there's so I guess I now I kind of am, am really interested in in diving into the subject of D and D. I don't know if this is what you were thinking. No, Chase. yeah, I, I was I was ready to move there. It's also something. Um, so D and D for me is actually probably antithetical to some of my gaming experiences I've just talked right. about being addicted. D&D is very much so not a competitive environment at all. And frankly, my role as the the DM, the guy running the show, is very much so not competitive. If anything, I'm like just a referee or facilitating the action. Um, but I, it is something we overlap in, and I do take a lot of joy in it. And I think for me, uh, I mean, for the listeners, for those of you who are not super familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, it's a, a game where you get together with a bunch of your friends for three to four hours and sit down, and basically it's a storytelling exercise. The, mm-hmm. the, the players, so maybe three or four players, are running specific characters in the narrative, and then you've got the DM. The dungeon master, really dorky term, but that's what I do. I I am basically I don't want to call myself God, but like I run I run the, <laughs> I run the world. I run all of the non-player characters. I run the enemies, the villains. I'm kind of just like setting the stage, but the uh, the players are the main main event. And and for me, I I love 
the the hijinks with friends that we can get into and just the crazy situations and it's an opportunity to just be social with everybody um so I, i'm very curious matt what what do you uh love about dungeons and dragons or what's the big draw for you to that because it is somewhere we overlap but i think we might like different things about it yeah and i guess <laughs> based off of my monologuing over the past 45 minutes here one answer <laughs> well no that's just it i I will say the low-hanging fruit answer here of the storytelling is absolutely a factor for me, but when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons in particular, I actually don't feel that the main draw for me is the storytelling. Um, In in fact, maybe even the the opposite is true in that even though there's a lot of storytelling, for me... What draws me to Dungeons and Dragons overlaps a lot with something I've talked about in previous episodes, and that is the the quality time and oh, the yeah. social experience associated with playing that game. Um, so one maybe drawback of all of the hobbies that I've discussed, and and I do want to, of course, you know, people are complicated; those are not my only hobbies, but one picture that you could paint of me, and it would be a fair picture based off of this episode alone, is, wow, Matt has a lot of very introverted hobbies. Everything he's <laughs> talked about is just something that you experience alone. Yeah, That is true. I, I do have a lot of introverted hobbies, but at the same time, I have a, more so than a desire, I have a need, like a lot of people, to interact socially with people i absolutely i i mean it's why i'm on this podcast it's why i hang out with you chase it's why i've been spending so much more time with the friends around and and doing that type of thing because of course social experiences and quality time that type of thing is extremely valuable to me dungeons and dragons is something that has meaning to me on a number of levels number one is kind of a more basic nostalgic level i think it I want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Chase, that was one of the first things that you and I did together that wasn't like a academic or yeah, school-related thing. Yeah, very true. That, that kind of brought the game or started the game, yeah. I guess. And so part of me is is likes it for that reason alone, where it's it's purely just an activity that has a lot of nostalgia associated with it, continues to be fun because it is such an open-ended thing. As we've changed as people, it's very natural to change how you play the game and how the, the dynamics of the table change. And so oh, yeah. it, it's a framework more than it is a, a defined experience. And so from that perspective, I think I will always like experiences like that because Dungeons and Dragons to me is an opportunity to create quality time and fun moments and memories and things like that. Um, Even maybe more so than the storytelling that's presented with it. Now, Chase, I I think you have some thoughts, but if you could, when, when you share here, could you maybe answer the question of what success in Dungeons and Dragons looks like to you? Okay, that is a very yeah. interesting topic. Well, I, I wanted to say one thing before I try to give you an answer there. A yep. little bit of podcast lore for our listeners. So the uh, the four people who you've seen featured on this podcast. Myself, That's true. Myself, Matt, Nick, and Jack. We actually had had and will have, again, a D&D group. All through college, I mean, we we took a bit of a you know year long hiatus when Matt joined a cult and moved away. Yes, but, but we're coming back together. The, the, we're getting the band back together. We're playing again. Uh, and I will tell you. So to answer your question, what is what does success look like in D anD D for me? Um, so my personal fulfillment as a DM is very much so dependent on my players enjoying themselves. Yeah. I really like when you guys have a good time. And so my idea of, of success has definitely changed from group to group, depending on who I'm running. I've, I've run some games for people who really, really get off or love the combat <laughs> aspect of the game. And right. I'm like, oh man, I want to like make this a super hard combat. They're fighting thousands of enemies, whatever. We got to go up big and just have like an arms race in terms of everything is just massive conflicts. And then with you guys... You, you three, I really enjoy the sessions that go completely off the rails. 
So much so that that because I, I think that that's been something you guys love is like just crazy scenarios that that's what the heck is going on. Oh yeah, and, and the the chances for you guys to interact with each other in goofy ways. So for me, some of our like the way I've run the game has changed because of that. Like I for most of the sessions that we play nowadays, I used to spend hours and hours preparing. I'd be freaking out before a session because I'd be like, guys, I got to prep. I got to go do this. I got to write some stories. I remember so, that. And, and now it's to the point where I know when I when I write all that stuff, it's going to become unhinged within like an hour. Like all of my expectations will be like just like what I thought was going to happen during the session will probably not happen if it's a good session. So I really don't prepare as much for things. I just go with the flow. It's more of an improv exercise because I find that that keeps things loose, keeps things goofy, keeps that tone that that my groups seem to enjoy. So so I would say just to kind of summarize, success for me is, is making my table uh, or making my game fun for all of those sitting around the table. And that can be very difficult. You have players who like very different things. So the biggest chore I, I don't want to say chore the biggest uh learning that i've taken away from the last couple of years is you really need to cherish the groups that mesh well together yeah. and try to keep them together because you can change out a few pieces and the table dynamic is completely different everything changes um and and things just don't flow as well you have certain players who like certain things so let them play with people who agree have some similarity yeah it is incredible i think it it speaks a little bit to uh and maybe this is this is oversimplifying a little bit but i think on a a previous episode maybe even the last one uh or maybe this was a separate i might be confusing an off an off-air conversation but i know at one point chase we've talked about how you are somebody who is an acts of service type person at oh, least to some degree so. and i I'm so interested in your answer to that question because to me it sounds like even even in something like like D and D that for a lot of people, myself included, is you know for lack of a better term a a party game. Like it, it's yeah. it's very much fun. There's some serious moments. There's some sad moments. But for the most part, nobody except for maybe the DM has any like anxiety before the game about how it's going to go or something oh, like that. True, yeah. And and so it. One thing that that presents itself to me that is kind of interesting is so from the perspective of of the DM from your perspective it's very important to you to know your players well enough to know what types of things they will find fun yeah. so that you can kind of cater the story to that and kind of in that vein not only does that make a difference how the players get along with each other but you need to have a group. And I think this may have been why we meshed so well together, this original core group, you know, the, the three truths and a liar original crew. Yeah. Because we all had a lot of overlap in what we were looking to get out of the game. We had a, a good dynamic. We were kind of already sort of at least academic friends before having started playing. And so we, we already knew each other in that way, but we also were looking to get the same thing out of the game. And I think it speaks to your talent, Chase, that you were able to kind of capitalize and encourage that because what we were able to accomplish is a, a universal satisfaction with what we were doing with the game right i think yeah. and now after having played in a number of different groups and and i've actually put a lot of time probably too much time into into dungeons and dragons in my life i've played a lot of it and in a lot of like board games and other related things as well one thing that i've noticed is is pretty much exactly the same as what you said chase where the for me at least the experience of playing and what I get out of it is massively increased or, or influenced maybe by the dynamic of the table yeah, of, of who's there. True. If you put together the right amount, the right people and you, you build the right atmosphere, the game is almost becomes a background it still is important but it's a framework for a very very fun time that will generate a lot of fun memories that will generate a love for the game that i think is is rooted in the same way that any positive memory is rooted you know the the deepest type of happiness on the flip side if you have people that are 
maybe not as compatible or or at the very least not looking to get the same things out of the game there's a there's a ceiling on on what you can accomplish because yeah. you're only going to satisfy x amount of people and, and even then you kind of as somebody like you you have to kind of take that interest average it present to the group an average of all of those different desires yeah and it's going to be a C grade experience for everybody involved. Exactly, you know? it's, it, it becomes such a balancing act, and and I will say I, I think that uh, another thing that we've learned and we haven't really touched on it too though is with that original group we had a very 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 stellar campaign experience. Yes, and then we got very ambitious and we went and had not so stellar campaign experience. And I, I think one of the learnings for me as a DM at, at that time was, uh, well, that's that's been the biggest teaching experience. So, so for those of you who aren't super familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, there's a we, we played this campaign called Dragon Heist that everybody in our core three truths and a liar group looks back on and says that was the fun campaign. That was the Absolutely. one that everybody remembers. Everyone so fun. It. We're and trying it again. It's, it's, yeah, I'm running it <laughs> yeah. again. Heck, it'll be great. But that campaign was set up perfectly to 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 play to the group's interests, to play to the group's strengths, these goofy situations, very free form, whatever you wanted to do, uh, have a capitalist venture, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. Well, then we, we shifted gears, and I'm like, are you guys ready for a challenge? We're going to play this 20-level long <laughs> campaign called Dungeon yeah. and Mad Mage, and it just became a slog, because... I, you know, that, that campaign just wasn't the right fit, to be honest. And so mm-hmm. that was a learning experience for me. I'm like, I probably shouldn't have directed you guys in that direction. Uh, I also probably could have done more, you know, reflecting back on it to, to, to play up the goofy side of things. But the story and the narrative in that was not not as not as easily molded yeah. to, and to, our, to our strengths. I guess that, that almost is, that's such a good answer that I, I almost feel like it even kind of changed my outlook on it because I had... I had kind of implied in my previous answers that the the narrative was less important to me in in D anD D than other things, and and while that is true, I think exactly what you said, Chase, is is a proof that there is some meaning for especially the group that we're addressing this three truths and a liar group, you know, with with Nick and Jack as well. Is there was some value in it for us associated with this kind of freeform narrative almost like it in a lot of ways this this maybe is downplaying it a little bit but it felt kind of like improv comedy in some ways you know like that type of thing where we were able to present ourselves with situations sometimes wacky sometimes weird sometimes even sad that we were able to kind of immerse ourselves in and and create storytelling that way and from that perspective that was absolutely something that within the, the context of D&D was very important to the dynamic of our group. Now, I'll give kind of two reasons. One is one is definitely that. The other one is a little more functional for why I felt like our our group maybe had struggled a little bit with this, this second campaign that you're mentioning, the one that was more kind of like combat focused and very grindy, if you will, yeah. um, was the... We at some point um, during this campaign, I don't remember what distance it was through, but we kind of hit the the pandemic and moved it online. Now, I think the online was not to exaggerate here, but I I think it, within the the podcast we'll understand what I mean when I say the death of the campaign. Very is, much so. And maybe even I'd go so far as to say the death of that group, at least temporarily, was the the moving online did not work for us very well. I think I think we would at the time have said that and in retrospect, especially now having experienced being together in person again, a lot of us, it part of the reason for that was because for us, what I think many of us in the group, certainly as players, probably even Chase as well from that other perspective, viewed as success out of a a D&D session or or you know meeting to to play for a few hours was leaving feeling like we had bonded as friends and created memories together that we'll be able to kind of 
share. And that word together is extremely critical here because even though we kind of chatted online and, and we, you know, we were in calls and things like that, I don't think any of us felt the, the presence that you feel sitting around a table. You ask True. anybody who's into kind of these, these geeky type hobbies, whatever it is, board games, we're certainly into that type of thing too. But even people that aren't, even people that, you know, they get together and, you know, go to bars or drink or whatever the other hobbies are. And, and we certainly do that too. But those, those things that the key factor there is the idea of togetherness, of experiencing these things together. I don't feel, and maybe my memory of this is a little different, Chase, but I want to ask this question. Do you feel like the campaign for you was a a failure before we moved online? Honestly, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that point because now that I'm thinking back on it, no. I actually feel like the first few, I guess, floors of this campaign or this dungeon uh, prior to going online were, were ultimately pretty similar in in vibe or in takeaways to our first campaign um i will say i think that after running a lot of online games during the pandemic uh there's a place for them but it requires a group who really enjoys the combat side of things online games through these tools that we have available to us can be very fun if you love like moving a mini your your character around and fighting waves of orcs and stuff or whatever it is Um, but they're not super great for that quality time and that social interaction especially from my standpoint because a lot of my you know uh gauging of a session uh, and how well it went is is from seeing my players at the table and seeing they're having a good time it's almost impossible unless we turn on face cams to actually tell that you guys are engaged that you're enjoying yourself it kind of felt like i was talking into the void and then occasionally the void would call back to me and say whatever they wanted to do but uh honestly i think there is I wouldn't say that the online experience is necessarily subpar, but it was subpar for the group that we had. Yeah. And, and what we what we wanted to get out of the game just didn't mesh well with that medium. Uh, whereas, you know, I, I run some games for players who only play online. I, I actually recently had the opportunity to run a game for a group of people that entirely they met online they're all dms they've all run the game and they love that intricate combat like wild experience through roll 20 which is the software we use and that was it was a whole different experience but i mean i I think that that medium was set up right for that group yeah it's it's kind of funny that you bring that up because i guess maybe and this might be oversimplifying it but i you might say even and I guess I'll ask if you agree with this statement or not, Chase. I would say that online is probably the ideal setting for the the type of D&D that is played with strangers or people that maybe are not as as much friends outside of the game. Whereas our group, we were very much becoming very good friends outside of the game, of course. You know, we we hung out all the time, that type of thing. I think that's why, that's probably the major catalyst for why it wasn't as much of a success for us to move online because we set a, not that it was necessarily a a higher bar, but a different bar and certainly a very high bar in terms of our own experience for what a D&D session was like for the types of emotions that we had, for the types of interactions we had and things like that. And the truth is the bar that we set was just not achievable in in an online setting yeah, with true. the campaign that we were playing. I'm not sure there's really any campaign that we could have played, any story that we could have told that would have matched the level of what we were at with the in-person games yeah yeah that, that's true and i i will say since i ran yeah. that online game i realized when i was running that online game for you guys that it could have been run so much better like i learned when i was running well for yeah this, oh when yeah. i was running it was kind of jank yeah when i was running for this group of people <laughs> yeah. who use the software regularly i'm like wait i didn't know that like half of this existed but i still i would agree with the sentiment even with what i know now i would i would never go back to running an online game 
for your guys's group. It's just too tough. Yeah, and and maybe even of course, I, I don't remember if you use this word, but I've been using the word failure. I think that's a little bit strong. I, I we certainly did have fun. It just it. I think in retrospect, we we maybe could have done some other thing that we that we would have enjoyed a little bit more. Yeah. I, I, so from that perspective, maybe you could consider it failure, but it was really more just kind of our outlook on the differing experience and, and what it meant to us, especially now. I think it's part of this larger story that we've we've talked about pretty much every episode because it is so important. Chase and I, you know, us two in this room, but also kind of within the larger group, are really experiencing kind of a renaissance of friendship, if you Very will. Much so. You know, it, it it's kind of blossoming into something that is is bigger, probably even than it was. And part of it is our ability to take the successes and the failures of of where we've been and learn from it and use it to build an experience and, and a life that is, is better than what we had before. You know, I, I think in the same way I view it, and, and I guess maybe just as a final question, we've been talking for a while. We're at an hour and five minutes. I don't oh, know wow. if you do that, Chase. But, I did not know that. Yeah. As a final question for you, Chase, we talked a lot in this, this podcast about what we look for in in games, what we look for in kind of pleasure time and kind of contrasted that to what we look for in careers. But as a final question, where do you see developing friendships and how does that kind of fit in to all of these competitive missions that you're on? For, for me, I am very much so. And maybe, you know, for those of you who work with me, you realize I've been recruiting all of my friends. I mean, to yeah. Try. I, I'm very much so a person who wants to, I guess, grind together with people or, or get on the climb. Oh, yeah. Together. So there, there's a bit of a crossroads there where I, I want to keep my friends close. I feel like I very much so see us in 10 years running the whole show at our, at our company. I mean, we're going to be on the management team working together. And so I'm trying to get my, my, my very good friends who I've been developing these friendships with to join, climb the mountain with me. There's so much to dial yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely we love that. We, we could have a whole episode on it, but it's like I'm, I'm assembling a team to climb the mountain together, I guess. For sure. For sure. And I think it's funny that we, we overlap so much in that statement because there's the prospect for me of climbing the mountain together is wonderful. I, I absolutely love that because... It's, it's like, it, it sort of combines this idea of self-improvement, which I've made a distinguishment from, from self-betterment, yeah. but self-improvement with quality time, which is more in the realm of self-betterment yeah. and combines them. And, and I think from that perspective, then us growing as friends together is one area where we very much align in our goals oh, and in our day to day, and and there's probably more than we even kind of were were talking about today that we align. But that's one of the ways that I think yeah. this is where we come together on the podcast and and truly overlap. And and I've appreciated it, but uh, we're we, we're getting long. So Chase, any final? thoughts or on where this episode went or, or where you'd I, yeah, like to go. I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't <laughs> expect this to get so introspective and philosophical. When, when Matt and I were talking about the podcast today, Matt's like, oh, we're going to talk about our hobbies. We never talk about our hobbies. We've had all these serious episodes. And then this one is right up there. Very real. Very. Like, I'm like, man, I feel like I learned something about myself <laughs> again today. It's kind um, of a, been a habit of, of yeah, mine it's, lately. It's that. awesome. I love yeah. that. So yeah, it was a great episode. I, I thank you all for listening. This has been Silver Tongue Matt and the boy, Chase. All right. Have a good week. <laughs>